Hello, my name is Josh Fullen. I'm a fourth year medical student uh, and I'll be heading to Emory um, for my residency. Welcome back to another episode. Um, today we're going to be going over translation. Um, you know, the previous episode we went over transcription, which is turning DNA into RNA. Um, this focus of this episode is a little bit different. It's going to be turning RNA into proteins. Really exciting stuff. This is basically where um, it all comes together. So why don't we just get right into it? Uh, translation is um, the process of taking mRNA and using that mRNA to create a protein. The basic components of it are mRNA, tRNA, which is um, used to basically, uh, if you remember from undergrad, tRNA has a amino acid group attached to it and it has an anti-codon sequence which is just basically the um, uh, uh, corresponding uh, code uh, to the codon of the mRNA which is a um, grouping of three ribonucleotides. That's what a codon is. Let me repeat that. A codon is a sequence of three ribonucleotides which codes for a single amino acid. And a tRNA has an anticodon, which is the uh, corresponding uh, binding RNA, um, or yeah, corresponding binding RNA. Uh, and that one corresponds, the three anticodons is, for, is specific for an amino acid, okay? So there's three basic components, mRNA, tRNA, rRNA, and then we use ATP to charge tRNA, and then GTP to create the polypeptide. The characteristics of the genetic code, right? You take DNA, you make it into RNA, which then you make into amino uh, acids. When you combine all those amino acids together, you get a polypeptide. As I said before, codons are sequences of three ribonucleotides code for a single amino acid. The amino acids form peptide bonds to create polypeptides. And then these polypeptides um, form the basis for a later protein structure when it's folded. So the components of translation all take place in the cytosol, um, and specifically um, at the rough endoplasmic reticulum. It's made up of a ribosomal complex. Remember the subunit, it's a, the, big, the large 50S subunit and then the smaller 30S subunit. Um, there's the... EPA or APE, however you want to remember it, but these are the different sites that the um, basically are, the translation is going to take place on. A is the entrance, um, P is the elongation site, and this is actually where the first codon starts. So basically the mRNA is going to come in into the 30S subunit, the 50S subunit is going to come on top of it, you're going to get APE, right, and as this mRNA as the, as the ribosome reads across this mRNA, it's going to finally hit the AUG start codon, AUG start codon. That's going to be located in the P spot. And then the next three um, ribonucleotides, or the next codon, right, is going to be located in the A site. And the A site, a charged tRNA uh, is going to come in, match up. Its anticodon is going to match up with the codon of that site. And then you're going to have basically a GTP is going to get um, dephosphorylated GTP is going to GDP is going to go away and you're going to get basically elongation of that polypeptide. You're going to get 
um, the uh, methionine is going to, you know, the start signal is going to get attached to this new poly, this new peptide or amino acid, I'm sorry, and then the whole sequence is going to move over to the P. Rinse and repeat until you reach the, um, and then the other tRNA is going to get bumped out of the E site, right? So if you've been following, basically, it starts in the P, right? And then tRNAs come in through the A site, moving to the P, and then the subsequent tRNA gets pushed out um, the E side, right? So it goes A, P, and E. Um, and this happens until you reach a stop codon, right? And the stop codon is going to be three stop codons. And you actually do have to memorize this. Um, I, you know, I, I think it, it's pretty easy to memorize. It's U, A, G, U, A, A, and, um, uh, sorry, U, G, A. And this, you know, it, it's, 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 um, it's sort of tough to remember if you just try to remember the codons, but if you think about these, these are the end termination codons, right? And it means that the signal is stopped and it's time to leave, right? So one way to remember it is you go away, you are away, and then you are gone, right? U-G-A, U-A-A, U-A-G. You go away, you are away, you are gone. These are the three codons for termination, right? This frees this polypeptide from the ribosomal complex. Um, some other things to keep in mind, right? The tRNA um, is uh, basically charged via amino acid tRNA synthetases. Um, the amino acids get attached to the three prime end of the amino acid. Um, and then basically this is, a, and it's charged using ATP. Um, there's different uh, protein factors that are also part of the ribosomal complexes, but you're not gonna be tested on that uh, come test day. So that's, you know, let me quickly walk through uh, steps of translation. I just want to put it out um, so that you have it in your head, right? So initiation, the initiator tRNA goes directly to, P, uh, to the P site and is then catalyzed by GTP. Elongation occurs uh, when um, uh, ba basically peptidyl transferase uh, transfers um, like the subsequent tRNA that comes into the A site and transfers that amino acid uh, to the growing peptide chain. And then you get termination after several rounds of this once it reaches the termination site. Let's say the mRNA though for this protein um, has some mutations. It didn't get uh, copied appropriately. There's three that you need to be aware of uh, for examination purposes. One is a silent mutation. This is when, um, because of a wobble sequence, this is an interesting phenomenon, but basically um, these codons, the last or third um, RNA that's a part of a codon can be changed and it might not actually change the amino acid that the tRNA ends up placing. So this results in no change in the protein. And when this happens, it's called a silent mutation. You can also have missense mutations. Uh, this is when that uh, basically what happens is one of the first two, sometimes the third, depending, um, uh, RNA gets changed, and then it results in a different amino acid, which results in a different um, protein. This is called a missense mutation. There's several examples of this uh, pathologic that result in you know pathologic conditions. We'll get into this later on, but you have to just like I want this to be the first introduction just to that concept. So missense mutations, right? 
sense is like when you're reading a, an mRNA, it doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense, and it actually is a missense. You end up making a different protein. Now, when you have nonsense, you can't even read it, and this actually results in a premature stop codon. So what's going to happen is you're going to actually get a mutation that messes up the mRNA enough that it actually has an early stop codon, and this causes premature um, uh, termination um, of the mRNA sequence, uh, reading it in the ribosome. Another important thing that I, I failed to mention up till now, just to keep in mind, when, you know, like DNA, when it's getting read, it reads in the three to five prime direction. When you're transcribing RNA, it reads in the three to five prime direction. mRNA, when it is translated, gets read in the five to three prime direction. This is an interesting concept. It's different. It's testable. Just keep it in mind. Um, so the final thing is after you've made these proteins, right, similar to like mRNA, after you make the mRNA in the nucleus, it goes uh, post-transcriptional uh, modifications. Well, now we have post-translational modifications that uh, can occur. So you can trim the protein after it comes out, but, and there's certain, protein, uh, certain things that do this, but you can also covalently modify these uh, proteins. And this can be done via... Um, phosphorylation, glycosylation, hydroxylation. But the key takeaway here, and just to keep in mind, this is a new concept that I'll be introducing, is when amino acids, right, when they have these hydroxyl groups or they have these nitrogen groups or sulfur groups, the specific amino acids have these groups. And these groups are more likely to undergo uh, covalent modification, right? So you wanna be trying to look out for, like on test questions, when, when you have a suspicion that basically something is being modified, you want to be looking for the amino acids and the answer choices that are um, basically like, they don't just have uh, CH3 groups, they also have some OH groups there. So examples of this are like serine, threosine, and uh, threonine, and tyrosine, right? STY is their uh, amino acid like identifiers, and these can be phosphorylated. Uh, glycosylation can either be O-linked or N-linked, and we'll get into when and why that occurs. Um, but what's important for you to know right now is that glycosylation, specifically um, for serine and threonine, which are O-linked glycosylations, and then asparginine is um, N-linked glycosylation. So just keep those in mind. Um, you know, you know, it's funny, right? Like you go through this and we're going through it like fast. So I just mentioned it. You probably already forgot which ones they are. The, the important takeaway from this is when you're studying on your own to write these down. There is a total of seven or eight, actually, that you're going to have to know that are like usually hydroxylated, glycosylated, or phosphorylated. It's not an insane amount, and it's all using a similar concept. So on test day, use that to your advantage, right? Like you should be able to quickly cross out options that don't get covalently modified. So I'm going to go ahead and repeat the ones that do get covalently modified one more time for your benefit, okay? Serine, threosine, and tyrosine become phosphorylated. Serine and threonine under, undergo O-link glycosylation, whereas asparginine undergoes N-link glycosylation. And then finally, utilizing copper and vitamin C as their cofactors, high-yield copper and vitamin C as their cofactors, proline and lysine undergo hydroxylation, okay? So these are the high-yield ones. Make sure you know these for test day. You're going to get tested on them in some form or fashion, and being able to just quickly identify uh, basically like which part of these amino acids and their active groups will get covalently modified will help you on test day and give you easy points. Um, so what's really interesting, right, is like we've really hit on like 
sort of the eukaryotic translation, but prokaryotes also have uh, translation. They also make proteins. And we can actually go ahead and, using antibiotics, fight these bugs uh, by attacking parts of their um, ribosomal subunits because they they're slightly different size than eukaryotic subunits. And we have specific antibiotics that go ahead and attack these. So it's not necessarily important. I'm going to give you some examples, and like you, it's great that you're getting uh, you're going to see hear these examples now. We're starting to bring in some clinical correlates. Try to remember them, but on test day, like. It's important for you to understand why these antibiotics work, not necessarily um, their names just yet. Eventually, you're going to have to know these names. Um, but on the question stems, for the most part, you can infer what they're doing uh, via their mechanism of action, right? And what, what is being hindered in the question stem. So for streptomycin, this inhibits initiation of the uh, complex, right? It'll stop tRNA from binding that AUG. Tetracycline inhibits binding of the amino acid, the charged amino acids, uh, tRNA subgroups, right, to the A site. And then erythromycin inhibits translocation, right? Translocation is when we move from, basically, we move... Um, so we have the P site, which has uh, the growing peptide chain. This gets transferred over to, basically, the... Um, tRNA with its amino acid in the A site, which then gets translocated back to the P site, kicking out that uncharged tRNA into the E site, which just leaves the ribosome complex. So that's sort of what translocation is. And erythromycin, which is a type of macrolide antibiotic, you don't need to know that yet. That's how it works. So this is like ways we can, you know, this is how we fight uh, bugs. This is cool. This is like why we become doctors, right? We, but this is also what makes us stand out. We understand where things work and why they work. So when, when things aren't working, we can find out others, uh, you know, other ways of sort of fighting the problem. So this is cool. This is, um, you know, in general, uh, all of the translation, really bare bones. We're going to get into... Um, uh, you know, in the next podcast, regulations of gene expression. Um, this is important, right? We, we've been talking a little bit about regulation of DNA with the histones and acetylation. We've been talking about regulation of transcription, right? And when you regulate transcription, you also end up regulating the downstream effects of transcription, which is translation and protein. So the, the frequency of making your protein. So we're going to get into this in the next one. This is regulation of gene ex uh, expression. Uh, see you in the next podcast.